Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. God bless your worship as we gather together around God's holy word and celebrating the tremendous love that our God has for us. And that love shows itself in our love for one another. And when it comes to loving one another, let's not forget one of the blessings of love shows its beautiful self in forgiving one another. Our first lesson, which will also serve as the basis for our sermon this morning, for this 16th Sunday after Pentecost, it is Genesis chapter 50, beginning at the 15th verse. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and will pay us back in full for all of the evil that we did to him. They sent the following message to Joseph. Before he died, your father commanded us, you are to tell Joseph, Please forgive the offense of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. Now please forgive the offense of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when he spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down in front of him, and they said, See now, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring this to pass and to keep many people alive as it is this day. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will nourish you and your little ones. He comforted them and spoke to them in a kind way. The word of the Lord. Our second lesson is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, beginning at the 29th verse. Do not let any unwholesome talk come from your mouths. Say only what is beneficial when there is a need to build up others, so that it will be a blessing to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of every kind of bitterness, rage, anger, quarreling, and slander, along with every kind of malice. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven us. Therefore, be imitators of God as his dearly loved children, and walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The word of the Lord. Our gospel is taken from Matthew chapter 18, beginning at the 21st verse. Then Peter came up and asked Jesus, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother when he sins against me? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you as many as 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle them, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Because the man was not able to pay the debt, his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, children, and all that he owned to repay.
the servant fell down on his knees in front of him, saying, Master, be patient with me, and I will reap, and I will pay you everything. The master of that servant had pity on him, released him, and forgave him the debt. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. He grabbed him and began choking him, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and begged him, saying, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and threw the man into prison until he could pay back what he owed. When his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were very distressed. They went and reported it to their master, everything that had taken place. When his master called him in and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt that you begged me to. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had Mercy on you? His master was angry and handed him over to the jailers until he could pay back everything he owed. This is what my heavenly Father will also do to you unless each one of you forgives his brother from his heart. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is the Old Testament reading from Genesis chapter 50, beginning at verse 15. And I'd like to read these words once more. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and will pay us back in full for all of the evil that we did to him. They sent the following message to Joseph. Before he died, your father commanded us, You are to tell Joseph, Please forgive the offense of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Now please forgive the offense of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when, he, when, when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down in front of him. And they said, See now, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring this to pass and to keep many people alive, as it is this day. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will nourish you and your little ones. He comforted them and spoke to them in a kind way. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ and heirs of everlasting life, when you go to a movie, what would you say it takes for a movie to be a good one? Probably a good script and, and certainly good acting, but isn't part of a good movie is how it ends? Don't you want to usually uh, want to see a movie where the good guy wins and, and the he hero overcomes the bad and evil guy? And maybe, if the movie is really good, we'll see the evil guy be destroyed in a fire where he's burnt up and can never hurt again. And we're cheering it on because that evil guy who has just irked us the whole movie is now done and gone. Isn't that what we really crave for? Now we come to the end of Genesis and we hear about the good guy doing really well. But what's interesting is the bad guy 
which is actually bad guys, it looks like they're not going to be crushed. They're not going to be killed. They're not going to be slaughtered. They're not going to burn in a fiery torture of pain because of the pain they dealt out to the hero. No, instead, the bad guys are forgiven. Now, there's two ways you can approach this text. You can approach this text from the viewpoint of Joseph's brothers, the bad guys, and, and approach this entire text from the standpoint of repentance and what true repentance looks like. But you can also take this text and approach it from the standpoint of Joseph himself forgiving his brothers and what that truly ought to look like in a God-pleasing way. And because of our theme for this service and, and all the other texts um, included as part of this service, we're going to focus more on the forgiveness part. And you heard me last week when we considered the words of Matthew 18 and, and reaching out to a lost sheep and the steps that we're taking, going to them and, and showing them their sins and in order to win them over, that they repent of their sins. And I kept saying in the sermon over and over again that when they repent, we forgive. And when we forgive, we forget. And we don't hold their sin against them. I said that over and over again really based on a passage like this, on how God-pleasing forgiveness really works and what God really desires for his fellow believers. Once again, I said that there were bad guys and Joseph's brothers were truly bad, wicked, evil. Oh, Joseph was about 17 years old, and, and his father, Jacob, had 12 sons. And these sons will eventually, their families, make up the 12 tribes of Israel. But at this time, uh, Jacob, out of all the sons, really had a favorite, and Joseph was that. He even put a beautiful robe on him. Some describe the robe as a robe of many colors. And it made him stand out from all the other brothers. Joseph also, at the age of 17, had, he was also known as kind of a tattletaler. He would report on the brothers and what they were doing. And, and so Jacob relied on this son all the time to, to make sure that the brothers were doing what they were told. And so Jacob one day sent out to Joseph and told him, come back and report to me where your brothers are. The brothers had moved the flock to, uh, to a different uh, area where there was great grazing. And, and so after a long journey, Joseph finally meets up with them. When the other brothers see Joseph coming, they've decided they had enough of this one. And so they went and captured him and threw him into a pit. And the plan at the time was they were going to end his life their own brother, all over jealousy. Then it was decided that instead of ending his life, they would instead make some money off of Joseph. They would sell him into slavery, and therefore they would finally get rid of this know-it-all 
tremendous tattletaler. But they couldn't go to their father and said, hey, we sold your son and our brother into slavery. So they came up with a plan that they took this beautiful robe and, and they ripped it up and they, and they dipped it with blood and, and went to their father to tell him that he had died a vicious death from an animal. And Jacob believed it. But he went into a very deep depression and, and the brothers couldn't even comfort their own father. He was beside himself. Joseph, meanwhile, is sold into slavery and he ends up being sold to one of the commanders of the Egyptian army. He was a pretty high official and, and very well off. His name was Potiphar, and, and Joseph would be enslaved at a very early age, but the Lord blessed Joseph dearly because Joseph, in being a hard worker, eventually worked his way up to be the head servant, the head of the household. He oversaw the taking care of the house and the meals and, and making sure that even the servants themselves were fed. Potiphar's wife, and we don't even know her name, she took a liking to Joseph, but not in a good way. She took such a liking to him because he was handsome that she wanted to have relationships that no married woman should have, except only with her husband. Joseph would have nothing to do with it. In fact, even when she grabbed his cloak, he ran away, even saying the words, how can I sin and do this great sin against God? Well, Potiphar's wife is irate. She goes to her husband saying it was Joseph who tried to take advantage of her and not the other way around. Joseph gets in trouble, and he gets in trouble to the point where Potiphar ends up sending him to prison. So we have Joseph, a servant, who becomes a head servant, who's now in prison, the lowliest of the low. In prison, the Lord will bless him greatly, and Joseph will actually do well in prison in the sense that he received trust from the, the jailer himself, and, and he was even put in position of, of, of helping and, and overseeing other prisoners. There were two prisoners that were thrown into prison by the Pharaoh himself. There was the baker and then there was the cupbearer. And both of them had a dream. And they had told their dreams to Joseph. The Lord had given Joseph the ability to interpret dreams, but Joseph would never take credit for interpreting dreams. He would never praise himself and say, hey, look at the ability I have. He would always give God the credit that it was God who interprets the dream and, and he reveals the interpretation to him. It turns out that the, the two dreams that they had, the answer to the dreams was the baker was to die and the cupbearer would get out of prison and would once again serve as cupbearer to Pharaoh himself. And that's exactly what happened. The cupbearer was so moved that Joseph was right on in interpreting the dreams that Joseph said to him, Say something to Pharaoh. Say something so that I can get out of here.
but the cupbearer forgot and, and threw it by the wayside until one day Pharaoh himself had a dream. It was a dream of seven fat cows and seven scrawny, ugly, weak cows. And how the seven scrawny, weak cows ate up the seven good cows that were fat. And this really disturbed Pharaoh. No one could interpret the dreams at all. Oh, he had his magicians and he had his advisors and his religious leaders, but no one could interpret this dream. The cupbearer, remembering Joseph, said something to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh immediately brought Joseph before him. Joseph would stand before him and, and invited him to tell the dream, and, and Joseph let him know that the seven good cows would, would represent seven years of, of abundance with harvest. And the seven wheat cows are going to be seven years of famine. The Lord moved the heart of Pharaoh to accept that interpretation. Joseph went on to say, put someone in command that during the seven years of plenty, you gather uh, enough to be able to get you through the seven years of famine. And Pharaoh did just that. He appointed Joseph. Believing what Joseph had said, he put Joseph in charge. He didn't just put him in charge um, like a manager over, over a store. No, he put him in second of command of all of Egypt. There was no one greater in all of Egypt than Pharaoh himself. Oh, he was given the power and the royal treatment and the respect. He's at the age of 30. This is a Hebrew. This is not even an Egyptian. And to have this, this kind of high standing, truly a blessing from the Lord. Joseph was faithful in his duties. He collected uh, quite a bit of grain, and he was even buying up land. And during the seven years of famine, Egypt became the world power. They were selling grain and handing it out to those who were starving. And some of those were actually Jacob and his family. Jacob sends the brothers to go to Egypt because he hears that there's grain available there. To make a long story short, Joseph will eventually reveal himself to his brothers letting them know that they are forgiven. But they're still tortured by what they had done to their brother and how powerful he is. To the point that when Jacob had actually died, they themselves at first did not go to Joseph, but instead sent a messenger. Some believe it was Benjamin, but we're not told. But here's what the messenger was told to say. Before he died, your father commanded us, you are to tell Joseph, please forgive the offense of your brothers and their sins because they did evil to you. Now please forgive the offense of the servants of the God of your father. As soon as Joseph hears these words, he weeps. Now did Jacob really actually say this? Or are they making it up to try to cover themselves so that 
Joseph maybe have pity on them and not come after them since he's got the power and authority to do it and they're really nobodies. Remember, they even moved from the land of Canaan. Joseph brought them over. There were 70 of them. Brought them to the land of Goshen where they could have their sheep. It was a very fertile and, and beautiful land that Pharaoh allowed Joseph to have for his family. And then, and then along with it is, is here Joseph forgiving them. And now they're coming to him uh, saying that this is what dad said. So again, are they making this up to cover themselves? Or did Jacob really say this? We're not told. But keeping the Eighth Commandment, knowing you're, you are not to bear false witness, and, and included with that is to always take a person's words and actions in the kindest possible way. It wouldn't surprise me that they didn't make this up, that Jacob really did say these words. may have been part of his dying words. This was a father that wanted to see his family at peace, and even at his deathbed, prayed for that called for that, asked for that. Joseph wept. It would not be the response I would have expected. He must be weeping because here his brothers are still being tortured. He already had forgiven them, and they're not even trusting in that forgiveness. They're tortured by the fact that what they did to Joseph was unspeakable. They deserve to be punished. They deserve to be destroyed. They deserve Joseph's revenge. But they knew they could not face that revenge and live. Joseph wept, knowing they're still tortured. Tortured by their own sins and their past sins. Once again, that had been forgiven. And then also he had to be crying because his brothers were afraid of him. That's not the relationship he wanted with his brothers. Even when his brothers finally came to him, they fell down in that, in that position of like worship. They lowered themselves before him, pleading for forgiveness, even reminding them that they are servants of the God of your father. Joseph did forgive them. In fact, how he forgave them was very unique. He put it this way, Do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring this to pass and to keep many people alive as it is this day. He points out that when it comes to forgiveness, no one has the right to play God. In other words, when we withhold forgiveness from someone who is repenting of their sins, we're actually breaking the very first commandment that says you shall have no other gods. We make ourselves out to, a, to be a God. We decide, we determine whether that person should be forgiven or not, even if they're pleading for forgiveness from us. 
Well, what about, isn't it right for us to play God? Because how do we know for sure if they really mean it? Or what happens if we have the feeling that they really don't mean it? Don't we need to make sure they mean it? Don't we not need to make sure that they're really sorry? Are we here to play God? And try to read someone's heart that we cannot read? We struggle to read our own hearts. Only the one true God can read hearts to see if there's true or fake faith. Or, or what about someone who's coming before us and, and, and being repentant and, and, we're, and we're really questioning not only if they really mean it, but will they continue to mean it? What happens if all of a sudden they come and hurt us again? How many times am I supposed to forgive them? It should be one and done. If they were really truly repentant, then they would stop doing it. They wouldn't come back and sin again. That was even the question that Peter asked Jesus. How many times would someone have sinned against me? Seven times? He even came up with a number. And Jesus said, not seven times, but more than 77 times. <clears throat> Am I in the place of God? That when someone comes to repent of their sins, that I play God with their soul and decide whether they ought to be forgiven or not? That's not how our God forgives us. Can any of us claim that we are worthy and deserve to be forgiven when by nature we're sinful human beings? We daily sin much. Every day is another day to cry, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it is our Lord who gave his life on the cross to pay for those sins. Not that we, that we live under the torture of our sins, but that we know that since those sins have been paid in full, they are forgiven. They've been paid in full by the blood of Christ. Our God gave his life for us to save us. And where there is the forgiveness of sins, there is the sure hope of everlasting life in heaven. It is out of love that our God loves us and gave his life for us and saved us. And it is motivated by that love that we love one another. And as our God has forgiven us, we forgive each other. That's forgiveness. And where there is forgiveness, there is forgetting. We don't get even. We don't uh, seek revenge. We don't make sure they hurt because they made us hurt. We forgive. We forget. Oh yes, we're tormented with the forgetting because Satan loves to bring it back up to us. Our sinful nature, sin, oh, loves to hang on to it. But the truth of the matter is, is forgiveness means forgetting and not holding that sin against that person. And in fact, not only do we not play God when it comes to someone else's soul, we dare not play God with our own soul. In other words, if Jesus has paid for all of our sins, how dare we tell God that he can't forgive us or that he didn't forgive us or that he won't forgive us when in fact he paid for it in full. Forgiveness it flows from that loving heart that flows 
from a God who loved us first. And not only does the love of forgiveness show itself in forgiving another, but it even goes above and beyond that. Notice Joseph. He also said, Now therefore do not be afraid. I will nourish you and your little ones. He confronted them and spoke to them in a kind way. He assured them that he would take care of them. He was in a position to do so. And he would do that. He could have walked away and, hey, good luck. But he didn't take that attitude. He wanted to serve his brothers, the very ones who asked that they would be willing to be his servants. And then this word, he spoke to them in a kind way. He didn't speak to them as the second of command of all of Egypt. He didn't speak to them as Lord and Master. He spoke to them as their brother. Knowing that these brothers, they're all members of a family. Yes, they were blood, blood brothers. They had the same father. But that wasn't the only family we see here. Remember how earlier the brothers said that they were servants of the God of your father? Joseph is no doubt is recognizing that these are fellow brothers and, and, and sisters in the faith. That it is the very God who has united them to be one. The very God who is their one true God. The very God who has made them all and saved them and, and has blessed them even unto this day. And what right does he have to destroy that kind of relationship? My dear friends, we are brothers and sisters in Christ as well. United in Jesus Christ, who shed his blood on the cross for the sins of the world. We are united. We are brothers and sisters in the faith. The one thing that destroys churches these days is really not a lack of money. It's really not a lack of volunteers. It's really a lack of love, fighting, getting even with each other, hurting each other, sticking it to each other, giving each other the silent treatment, being mean with each other, plotting and planning how we can stick it to the other. This is what destroys the preaching and teaching of the holy name of Christ to the ends of the earth. Therefore, the unity that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ is to be cherished and is to be worked on. And this is a unity founded in Christ as we work together to not only know the Savior and grow in his holy name, but to share it with others. Therefore, my dear friends, I cannot say this enough. Love one another. As Christ has loved you, Love one another. And love shows itself with forgiveness. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, 
please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemevlutheran.org. May God bless you today and every day.